Hello and good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to the second quarter earnings call for Ceridian. I'm Eric Zimmer, Head of Corporate Development and Investor Relations. I am joined on the call today by our co-CEOs, David Austin and Lee Turner, our CFO, Noemi Euland, and our Senior Director of Investor Relations, Matt Wells. I will now turn it over to Matt, who will run through our legal disclaimers. Thanks, Eric. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and this call is being recorded. The question and answer session will follow the opening remarks. Before I hand the call over to David, I want to remind everyone that our commentary may include forward-looking statements. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause Ceridian's results to differ materially from historical experience or expectations. A description of some of these risks and uncertainties can be found in the reports that we filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, in addition to statements included in our current and periodic filings. Additionally, over the course of this call, we will reference non-GAAP measures to describe our performance. Please review our earnings press release and filings with the SEC for rationale behind the use of these non-GAAP measures and a full reconciliation of our GAAP to non-GAAP measures. As a final note, our earnings press release and other SEC filings are available on the Ceridian Investor Relations website. With that, I'll turn the call over to David. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining our Q2 earnings call. Today, I'll speak briefly about our strong performance in the quarter, what we are seeing in the macro environment, and I'll highlight our technology differentiation. Lee will then give more color on our sales momentum and outlook for the second half of the year, and she'll go into details on how we are driving efficiencies across the organization. And then Naomi will go into the numbers before we open up the call for questions. Turning to performance, we had a very strong quarter, and in constant currency, we exceeded the high of our guide on all of our metrics. Day force recurring revenue, X float, grew by 30%, and 31% including float. Adjusted EBITDA came in at 61.8 million or 20.5% of revenue versus a year ago when the business was operating at 15.9%. This is a significant improvement in profitability and in scale. A large part of our EBITDA beat came from the 230 basis point year over year increase in adjusted gross profit on cloud recurring to 76.4%. On the macro side, we have not seen any slowdown in sales or any slowdown in decision making. Year to day sales are up significantly year over year and growth appears to be accelerating. We have seen continued momentum across all segments. Deals above 1 million are up 50% year over year. Mid market sales are above plan add-on sales to the base continues to be a healthy 30%. The number of customers who have brought a suite is up to 36%, and global traction continues, with EMEA and APJ sales both up year over year by more than 50%. In other words, we are firing on all cylinders and are quite confident on the outlook for the second half of the year. And turning to technology, we continue to build great tech that continually expands our addressable market by extending our platform with new modules, adding capabilities that scale for large enterprises, and adding global HR, payroll, and time features that service the needs of global organizations and those headquartered outside of North America, all of which deliver more value to our customers and drives recurring revenue growth and profitability. And as you know, we differentiate in the market through our Dayforce technology in a number of ways. First, we have a single solution with a single database that spans across HCM. This drives efficiencies and cost savings for our customers. Second, our continuous calculation engine also drives significant efficiencies and much better compliance for our customers. In fact, we have seen payroll processing times drop from over 20 hours to less than two hours at our customers. And we are broadly recognized as a worldwide leader for payroll, workforce management, and compliance. It is this continuous calculation engine that has allowed us to bring Dayforce Wallet to market. 
Dayforce Wallet allows employees to get paid when they want, improving their financial wellness by avoiding costly alternatives, while significantly reducing employee turnover and cost for our customers. Today, more than 1,200 customers have signed for Dayforce Wallet. Over 650 are live. Average registrations are above 40% of eligible users. And the typical wallet user uses the wallet about 25 times per month. These trends illustrate what our customers are telling us, which is that Dayforce Wallet is a modern extension of a payroll process and is a base expectation of today's employee. Another advantage we have relative to the ERPs is our payment and tax services capabilities. In fact, I would argue that selling payroll without tax and money movement is like selling a bus without wheels and an engine. And on the global front, our global capabilities for HR payroll time and talent allows customers to have a single system for their global operations, which is a significant competitive differentiator for Ceridian. And finally, our focus on driving returns for our customers has led to our success. Each time we build a module, we determine which KPI we can impact with that module. That measurement needs to be quantifiable and convertible into a money saving. This focus on ROI has led to powerful customer case studies and reinforces our value messaging, which resonates so well in today's macro environment. And our results stand as proof. I'll now turn it to Lee to go into more details on sales productivity and how we're driving efficiencies across our business. Thank you, David. As David noted, this is an organization that is firing on all cylinders and in many respects is void by a macro environment where our customers and prospects value productivity and profitability more than they have in some time. Our technology delivers hard dollar returns at a market-leading TCO, and our sales reflect that. After two years of significant transformation in our sales and go-to-market organization, we are clearly seeing the fruits of our labor. Sales productivity has returned to an all-time high after significant investments in getting the right people in the right roles in the right geographies with a market-leading value proposition. The result is that we are winning at an accelerated rate in our key markets. In the North American, EMEA, and APJ mid-markets, as detailed in our shareholder letter, we are seeing tremendous momentum in full, full suite sales. Now more than 36% of customers buying the day four suite. Momentum in selling back to our base. Now more than 30% of our sales are back to our current customer base. And real speed to value realized by our own implementation organization and that of our now more than 30 SI partners worldwide. The time we took to build a fully native, full suite offering, easily deployable in record time and high quality by a global network of partners tuned to service the mid-market is paying off in both accelerated growth and in profitability. In the global enterprise and large enterprise space, a market where we have been investing for several years, we are again seeing the fruits of our labor. Our shareholder letter tells the story. In the second quarter alone, customers in the 10 to 12,000 employee range buying the full day four suite are becoming commonplace. We have always said we are not limited by our technology our platform scales. And we are now selling and taking live customers with hundreds of thousands of employees. One of the largest e-commerce logistics companies in the world chose to expand their relationship with Dayforce to support their more than 100,000 employees in the UK. One of the largest grocers in the world with 350,000 employees will leverage Dayforce to support their profitable growth. And in the first weeks of the second half, we cemented a relationship with a global customer who will move more than 700,000 of their global employees to Dayforce 
in a phased rollout. In each one of these wins, we are replacing antiquated technology, disparate systems that are glued together with people and undue cost, and in so doing, we are driving real ROI at market-leading TCO for our customers in a market where that's more valued than it has ever been. Finally, a word about scale. We have been relentlessly focused on driving scale for the last many years. Again, the results stand as proof. We are now operating at 74.6% adjusted cloud recurring gross margin and a clear path to greater efficiencies ahead as we continue to leverage our global footprint. All of this while improving the core metrics which our customers have come to expect from us. As an example, the retention rates remain best in class while we globalized our support organization and simultaneously reduced ticket volumes by 15% year on year. This is but an example of hundreds of initiatives we have in place to support our continued accelerated growth and profitability. And I would be completely remiss if I didn't stop to thank our own people and our customers who have put their trust in us when we told them that we could do what we are now, in fact, doing. And with that, I'll turn it over to Noemi to take you through the numbers in more detail and to discuss guidance. Noemi? Thank you, Lee. Um, I'd like to provide additional color on our second quarter performance and guidance, which is detailed in the stockholder letter. In reviewing our second quarter performance, I want to reiterate that growth across Dayforce recurring revenue, cloud revenue, and total revenue faced FX headwinds driven by a stronger U.S. dollar compared to what we expected. These headwinds amounted to approximately 200 basis points of growth in the quarter. On a constant currency basis, Dayforce recurring revenue excluding float grew 30%, cloud revenue grew 28%, and total revenue grew 23%. Adjusted EBITDA margins of 20.5% exceeded our guidance range, driven by revenue upside in the quarter, as well as operational efficiencies, as illustrated by our adjusted cloud recurring gross margin of 76.4, an expansion of 230 basis points. Turning to third quarter and fiscal year 2022 guidance, I want to note that in the second half of the year, we faced FX headwinds of approximately 150 basis points to revenue growth. These FX headwinds are incremental to our previous assumptions and are detailed in our stockholder letter. Despite these FX headwinds, we're raising and narrowing the range for our fiscal year 2022 gross expectations, both reported and at constant currency, across cloud revenue and total revenue on a healthy Q2 performance and increased float revenue. For the full year 2022, we're adjusting our, our guidance for Dayforce recurring revenue X float to reflect second half FX headwinds. Growth is now expected to be in the range of 25% to 27%. However, we maintain our prior constant currency guidance range of 26% to 28% growth. When attributing float revenue to Dayforce, expected growth is in the range of 27 to 29% and constant currency growth is in the range of 28 to 30% for the full year. In addition, we're raising adjusting EBITDA to reflect our float revenue guidance and flow through of half of the profitability upside for the second quarter. Our 2022 adjusted EBITDA guidance implies margin moderation in the second half of the year as we continue to invest across our growth initiatives. That said, at the midpoint, we now expect to achieve adjusted EBITDA margins of approximately 18%, which is an increase of about 200 basis points versus our prior guidance midpoint of 16%. As we continue to manage through an evolving macro environment, we remain committed to investing for future growth while continuing to drive scale and efficiencies across the organization. Now, I'd like to turn the call back over to Matt to open the for Q&A. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you everyone for joining us. I believe our first question is going to come from Willow Miller of William Blair. 
Hi guys, thanks for taking my questions and congrats on the quarter. So my first question is, what are you seeing in terms of employment within your customer base? Have your customers pulled back on headcount growth? I'll, I'll take that. Thanks for the question. Uh, we haven't seen uh, growth slow down at our customers. If I look at my headcount reports, they continue to be about uh, 4% up over the last 90 days, which would be in line with our expectations. Okay, great. And then just a quick follow-up, how does your pipeline look like now versus 90 days ago? Uh, as I said before, uh, sales uh, have done tremendously well year-to-date. Uh, as Lee mentioned, we've had a very strong start uh, to July. Uh, the pipeline looks very healthy, and we believe we have adequate coverage to have a, a good sales year. Great, thanks. Next up, we have Mark Macron from Barrett. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Mark Marcon. My cousin, Emmanuel, uh, isn't on the, on the line. Um, with, with regards to... Um, with regards to um, the, the strong quarter, can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, some of the big uh, wins that you mentioned, Lee? Um, you know, in particular, um, you know, the large grocer who's being replaced there. And then you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the large employer that's got 700,000 employees that you signed in the first couple of weeks. When, when would that start going live? And, and what were some of the key reasons uh, why you were selected for some of those really big, impressive wins. Yeah, um, so first of all, uh, I'll just take them head on. Uh, the large grocer uh, headquartered actually in EMEA uh, with 11,500 stores is going to leverage us for WFM advanced scheduling to uh, expand the profitability of their operations. And they're going to operate in over 20 languages leveraging Dayforce. The global e-commerce and web services company that I referenced is going to use us for payroll in their UK operation for over 100,000 employees. It actually builds on, which we're most proud of, a pre-existing relationship. They're double, doubling down their relationship with Ceridian uh, with opportunity, frankly, to continue to scale that relationship globally. And uh, we replaced a major competitor, a major payroll competitor. Um, and then with respect to the win in the first uh, part of July, uh, which you ima can imagine uh, dramatically affected our linearity for the second half, uh, they intend, we intend to provision their system within the next couple of weeks. And we're going to begin loading data into that system this quarter with the intention to begin a phased rollout in year. And uh, we uh, replaced uh, an existing uh, competitor uh, we competed with the masses in order to win, and in fact did. Um, and uh, as I said, when we are completed there, we will have rolled out to 700,000 employees with the opportunity for expansion from payroll into full HCM over time. So those are some patterns that we are seeing in the market. Our pipeline is full of opportunities like that. And what we're finding is that we're accelerating our ability to win them. Congratulations. That's terrific. And then, Nomi or David, um, question, with the, the, the gross margin uh, improvement and the EBITDA margin improvement was really impressive. Nice to see that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the key drivers behind the improvement? Um, and, and how should we think about, um, you know, those, the, the, the day force recurring gross margins on a go-forward basis as we start looking to, to next year and the year beyond? Yeah, so I'll start that, and I'll let Naomi add some more color to the conversation. Um, on the uh, gross uh, profit on recurring, a lot of it is driven by the efficiencies we're having across our support organization. Uh, earlier in the year, we moved to a model that allows users to support one another, and that has led to a reduction in support tickets year over year and has obviously increased the profitability of the recurring revenue. The second piece is, as we've mentioned, as we extend the platform and we sell the add-on modules, and 36% of clients today have a suite of, uh, of modules that they're using, we get additional revenue, but we don't really change the cost of hosting or the cost of support for that 
drives up the profitability of it as well. And then overall, just from a process perspective, more automation, less bums and seats type of approach to the actual business has led to it. On a longer term basis, we're consistent with what we've said beforehand. We expect that uh, a gross profit number on recurring to go up to about 80% or so over the next about three years. Terrific. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jared Levine from Cowan. Thank you. In terms of the sales headcount, can you update us on those staffing levels, including those additional hirings that you're expecting within the uh, enterprise segment? We're fully staffed in our sales organization at the moment, including the large enterprise segment. Okay, great. And then looking at your Dayforce recurring X flow content currency guide for the year, can you help us in terms of the attribution across new logos, upsells, pricing increases, and employment growth within the uh, base? About 30% of it is sales to the base, and largely the remainder of that would be new sales. So 17 new sales, uh, 30% back to the base. And our next question comes from Siddhi Panagrahi from Mizuho. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, David, I want to ask you your favorite topic, Day First Wallet. It's very impressive to see now 40% now uh, registration rate. Uh, looks like your employee, you know, the referral program working. So it's been now two years. Uh, how how far you can go on in terms of employee registration uh, within the base? And how do you feel about the adoption at this point? And also, if you see any slowdown, you know, macro slowdown, how do you see the uh, how the wallet with that? Uh, so on the macro side, again, we haven't seen any impact to the business. Um, if I look at the number of users of the wallet, if I look at the amount that people are spending per transaction, it hasn't changed. Uh, over the course of the year has been largely constant. Uh, in terms of registration rates, it seems to be going up by a few percentage points every quarter, and I think that trend will continue. Uh, we've seen number of registrations per day go up quite significantly uh, over the last three months, and so I'm confident that we'll see more people being live and more of their registered users. Um, the play over there still largely is uh, making uh, is working with the customers, if you like, uh, to include to increase the number of employees that are eligible for the wallet. Okay, and then a follow up to your uh, one comment. We said how you differentiate payroll and tax uh, with your payroll and tax uh, with your uh, with uh, ERP vendors. What sort of like how? How are you seeing the success in terms of competing in the enterprise segment, more selling HCM product uh, in, the, in the enterprise segment? So I'm not sure if I heard the question correctly, but uh, as I mentioned, uh, the number of deals over a million dollars is up 50% year over year, so we're having much more success in the large enterprise space. Uh, and in Lee uh, highlighting some of the wins of the very large customers, uh, ERP vendors would have been at the table in all of those. Uh, Lee, um, any other parts that you could answer? Maybe I'm just going to try and get to the root of your question, City, if I understood you correctly. Basically, what you're asking is, talk to me about your tax and money movement offering, and like, does that really help you when you're selling full suite HCM? And the answer is yes. And the reason that it helps is that in a down market, Everybody is driving for consolidation, so lowest possible total cost of ownership. So if you can eliminate integration points or alternative providers or duplicative teams internal to your business, that's a win, which is why anything that we do that complements our full suite and allows us to be one single provider to our customer is part of the reason that we're winning full suite deals, payroll deals, uh, in a down market, I, I would argue more than people who don't offer what we offer. Great. Thank you. And our next question comes from Dan Jester of BMO. 
Great. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for taking my question. Maybe another one on the wallet. So if I heard correctly, you've got 1,200 signed customers now on the wallet. If I look at my math, that looks like it's about 100 new customers sequentially, and that's the lowest pace in a year. So I guess I'm just wondering, in terms of clients signing with Dayforce, how are you seeing the momentum there, and should we expect the pace of signings to pick up as we go into the back half of the year? Daniel, uh, as I said before, the focus at the moment is working with the customers that have signed the 1,200 to first go live, 650 are live, so there's 550 more to take live, and then to work with those that are live to increase the populations that are eligible. When we just look at the number of employees that we've signed across the 1,200, it's a considerable amount, and so we're focusing more now on activation to get the usages. Uh, you heard earlier there was a reference to the referral program. Uh, we launched that uh, last quarter, which effectively um, is an off the, the first time. If you give your referral code to a buddy, the first time they use it, uh, they get a bit of money, you get a bit of money, and we've seen an impact in terms of the registrations coming from that as well. So our focus at the moment really is driving the eligible population uh, mostly. Uh, but there's still runway to go in terms of the number of customers who sign up. And we still are seeing above 80% attachment rate of wallet to uh, payroll. And uh, I, I know that Lee would argue that, you know what, the wallet has now become table stakes from a modern payroll system. Any employee out there today does expect to have the ability to get paid when they want to. And we're seeing that reflected in the RFIs, RFPs, uh, when people are asking about the features that they do expect to have in a modern payroll system. Okay, great, thank you. And then maybe for Noemi on the EBITDA margin guidance, uh, if I caught what you said correctly is that you didn't necessarily flow through all of the upside uh, into the back half of the year. Are there specific investments that uh, that you'd call out that are keeping that from flowing through? Or are you just being conservative given kind of the world that could look a little bit more uncertain in the next three to six months. I'd love just a little bit more color on, on the margin outlook. Thanks. So as you saw, we raised both the low end and the high end by 20 million. So that's uh, essentially uh, all the float upside that we saw. We're flowing through the second half of the year, uh, the four-year guidance. And then uh, we're flowing through half of the adjusted EBITDA beat uh, from Q2, which is substantial. We continue to make investments uh, in sales and marketing. We have our big event uh, in November in Science in Vegas where we have uh, a lot of prospects and customers attending. Uh, and we continue to invest in marketing and then in product and innovation, uh, as you saw in the stock cover letter. So those are the main tips and dates on the EBITDA for the remainder of the year. Gotcha. Thank you very much, everyone. Mm-hmm. Our next question comes from Robert Simmons of DA Davidson. Hey guys, thanks for taking the question. Uh, I was wondering on your international revenue, um, how much of it, uh, you know, excluding things like Ascender, but you know, how much is it related to multinationals who kind of started off with you in the U.S. or their own domestic market and then took you international to other, you know, other divisions um, versus you know companies that are native to those countries um, taking you like you know in um, say Australia alone that sort of thing. So we're actually seeing success on both fronts. Uh, I mentioned this in my uh, piece up front, that when we look at EMEA and APJ, and that's where we sell to companies that are headquartered in either EMEA or headquartered in APJ, uh, we've seen the sales figures go up 50% year over year. So we are being successful at selling in the local markets against the local competitors. As well, we are seeing additional rollouts of global employees from companies that are already live on day four, which obviously would be companies that are headquartered in North America. Uh, the one logistics company that Lee mentioned has been a, a customer in North America for a few years, and they've now extended their relationship to their UK population, so that's a perfect example. Lee, anything you would add to that? No, I don't think so. I think you covered it. Awesome, great. And then uh, can you talk about uh, what impact you're seeing from higher inflation rates or high inflation rates, I should say? Um, I know that you pass on price increases generally at renewal, uh, but how do new deals look? And then also what are you seeing on the cost side of the equation? Uh, 
Uh, so on the uh, price increase, uh, as you know, we have uh, uh, contract uh, terms that allow us to increase upon renewal. We're obviously uh, applying those and, and at the same time being mindful of the customer-specific situations. And we've also increased our price list uh, to reflect the effect of inflation. But again, we're mindful and we're looking at competitive uh, positioning of our offering in some deals, especially in the large enterprise sector. Uh, so I think we're, we're mindful of applying uh, price increases as well as looking at what others are doing and, and compete uh, efficiently, uh, especially in the large enterprise space. The one thing I would add is we're taking advantage of our global workforce uh, to lower the actual labor cost for us as well. Our next question comes from Kevin McVeigh of Credit Suisse. Great. Thank you so much, and congratulations on the results. Hey, is there any way to think about what the revenue opportunity is if, if you know, the remaining clients were to adopt the full day force suite? I think the number, it's, it's 36% today, but if, if that flows across the entire enterprise, how much revenue would be associated with that? That's such a good question. So just a few parts of breaking that down. Uh, even across the 36% that have a suite, there's still significant upsell capabilities across them. Uh, so at the moment today, I think we have 18 different modules that are available, 24 modules that are available, sorry, excuse me. Uh, and so there's a lot, and every year, uh, Joe adds on average about two to three new modules which drive additional PEPM. Uh, so there's still a significant, I think there always will be a significant opportunity in terms of going back to the base. Um, I, I don't have the math to work out the 30% compounded. I'll give that to Naomi to try and answer that one. No, I think we, uh, David covered it. There is significant upsell opportunity uh, to the customers who already have the full suite by, by virtue of adding additional modules. And then if you look at the large enterprise wins that we're, we're having today and that Lee talked about, we're pretty much landing uh, with payroll and time and workforce management for the most part. And the idea here is obviously once we, once we land those customers, they go live on payroll, we expand with additional modules. So the opportunity is humongous. And the only thing I would add is that we're starting to see some of that. So you'll see in our shareholder letter that there's a long-term healthcare provider with 11,000 employees that bought the full suite from us. It's an example of consolidation and driving down TCO. Uh, they amalgamated a bunch of point solutions and went with uh, Dayforce. Uh, there's a global veterinary services company, 40,000 employees bought the full suite uh, from uh, us. Uh, to manage complex scheduling requirements uh, and to roll out, frankly, Dayforce Wallet in order to be able to drive up employee retention. Um, and both of those 11,000 and 40,000 employees would have been unheard of a couple of years ago that they would have bought more than pay and time from us, but now they're buying a larger footprint and they're a really good example of what Noemi just said, which is we expect that customers that are in the 100,000, 350,000 and 700,000 range will buy more from us over time if we land with pay and time and service them well. Very helpful. And then just how long is the conversion on that 700,000 employee win? And, and what would that have taken three years ago? Because obviously you've had a, an amazing amount of uh, efficiencies from an implementation perspective. Is there any way to just think about the, the time factor on, on the conversion of a client of that size relative to maybe three years ago? What do you mean by conversion? What's your question specifically? When, when you're cutting over the actual HCM process from the legacy provider to Ceridian. Oh, I see. So your question is how long will it take for us to get yep. 700,000 employees live on our platform? Yes. Look, it depends on the actual rollout of the client. Uh, we've seen big clients. Uh, last year, we had a healthcare organization with 60,000 go live in, in 7.5 months. Um, in terms of the UK logistics company with about 100,000, I would expect that to be about a year rollout to get them live. Uh, in terms of the other logistic company that we signed early this quarter, um, there's a bit of seasonality into that base as well. So we'll probably take up their base employee base, which I think is about 500,000 relatively quickly. It'll peak up, I suppose, over the Christmas period 
uh, to that uh, seven eight hundred thousand level. Uh, but I would expect that to be a one-two-year project. The only thing I would say just to augment that is that uh, in the shareholder letter, there's an example of a holiday company uh, based in the United Kingdom uh, with 10,000 employees going live uh, with WFM and a few other things, uh, all within a six-month period. They need to do it for business reasons, and we can accommodate that, whereas, again, a couple of years ago, that would not have been possible. Just So just as an example of what David said, you know, we've gotten much, much faster at getting customers live on time and on value, and this 700,000-person customer uh, will do it at their own pace and what serves their own business, but we can accommodate their needs. Congratulations again. And our next question comes from Mark Murphy of J.P. Morgan. Yes, thank you very much. I'll add my congrats. Uh, so you've mentioned a customer with 350,000 employees. You mentioned one with 100,000, one with 40,000, uh, and, and now the one in July. Is it safe to assume that your win rates are improving? The When, when we look at the upmarket uh, segment where they have these more complex international deployments, uh, do you think that that win rate is improving because you can you can handle some of that payroll natively? And then, um, I guess, with the expansion of the partner ecosystem to, to handle some of the deployments. And just trying to understand if, it, if it's win rate or, for some reason, there's just more of a cluster of these uh, coming to market at once. So, so Mark, uh, a few major themes in this. In 2018, when we spoke about enterprise, we already meant above 10,000 employees. Nowadays, when we speak about large enterprise, we're speaking about hundreds of thousands of employees. Uh, what's allowed us to do that is really two things. Uh, the first is that Joe, with the product and technology team, has significantly improved the scalability of the solution. Uh, from a payroll engine perspective, they've added the capability to horizontally scale into different containers that allow us to do these calculations very, very quickly. Uh, a lot of that we actually had to do to support the Dayforce wallet, which, as you can imagine, at any instance of the day, we're running a payroll for someone just based on consumer demand. So we've created tremendous more scalability. Also on the product and technology side, we added some features that are uh, required for the larger organizations to do payroll. Uh, so things like the global system of record. Uh, the ability to do a more complicated tax calculations um, are, are examples of that. And then on the sales and marketing side, as you know, we rebuilt the sales organization about 18 months ago uh, when Rocky joined the organization. And we went to market and we brought in a lot of exceptional sellers who are familiar selling to the large enterprise market. And remember, to sell to the large enterprise market, you have to sell value, you have to sell software, you have to get Peppermon provisioning because you're a software provider, not a service provider. You have to know how to position value to the C-suite, and you have to be able to run through a more complex sales process. And I would argue that Rocky's done a tremendous job in changing the way we actually go to market that has allowed us to win those accounts. So, yeah, I, you know, I think we should be very proud of what we've accomplished in the large enterprise market, and I expect the momentum to continue, and I think we are beyond the tipping point of becoming the recognized leader for compliance for the very large enterprise. The only thing I would add is, there, just to, to hit your point uh, on the head, there are more of these deals in our pipeline than there has ever been. Our win rates are increasing, and we believe that the competitive landscape is going to allow us to win at an increasing rate. And we have the most global solution on the market. Okay, and um, thank you. That's um, extremely helpful. And just to, as a quick follow-up, you, you the shareholder letter mentioned significant traction in the month of July. And I, I think we understand now it includes a, a mega deal. Um, is it fair to assume it's also a healthy volume of business in your your normal or traditional customer segments as well in the month of July? Yeah, I'm just going to say our mid-market business in all markets, not just North America, is on budget for the year, and that includes July. 
And faculty, I would actually even add to that. Uh, if I look at the small business performance year to date as well for the half year, it's also above plan. So uh, again, I think we're doing very well on a sales momentum basis. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Our next question comes from Alex Zukin of Wolf. Hey guys, thanks for for taking the question. So I guess clearly, you know, I think you've you've talked about increasing momentum, uh, which is obvious given the the very large customer logos you're you're announcing, um, which I think is more than yeah, you know, at least I can remember you guys talking about on a single earnings call. So what I'm trying to reconcile is given you know Lee, you talk about accelerating momentum. Uh, David, you're talking about you know both businesses above plan. Just help us understand and bridge. If I look at the sequential dollar increase in day force recurring revenue, constant currency, X float, on a dollar basis, it's actually going up less than this time last year. And in the context, I'm wondering, is there a linearity component here where some of these deals, because they're larger, they're bigger logos, maybe they're more complex, there's a longer time lag between you know the booking and, and the revenue recognition. Uh, but just help me understand that and then, Maybe no, couple that with why no, keeping the guide unchanged. No, Alex, it's largely uh, the COVID sales basically moving through the income statement. And we spoke about that all the way down, I think, in, in Q3 and Q4 of last year, that we had to just basically see the sales impact of COVID make their way through uh, the, the income statement. We're going to see most of the impact. Uh, in the middle to late part of this year. And then that's what you're saying. But we now have seen a reacceleration of sales. Okay, and, and I guess maybe just if I look at the – is it a similar uh, question around the the go-lives um, or the, the net ads? Uh, I think it was it's, – it's less in Q2 uh, than it was in the last two years in, in Q2. Is that, again, it, it, it's just larger customers, so, so less but, but larger deal values? It's up and down by, by quarter, as you know. Um, you have to look at it more on a half-year basis, uh, more than anything else. Uh, you know, if you look at it, it was 175 last uh, in Q1, 119 in Q2, 207 in Q4, but 63 in Q3 of last year. So it fluctuates quite a bit, and it always has fluctuated quite a bit. Um, I would say if I look at it just on an absolute basis, 119 to 125 or 123 for the last two years is largely constant. Um, and we, yes, we have gone up market. The average size of the deal is up about 10% year over year. Got it. Thanks, guys. And our next question comes from Bob and Shah of Deutsche Bank. Right, thanks for taking my question. Just following back up on off-market, I know in the past you've talked about how important the SI partnerships will be for, for this segment of the market. How have these relationships evolved relative to your expectations? And where are they in terms of adding to new deal wins uh, as we think about this quarter and even going forward? I mean, they're critically important. As I cited at the top, we now have more than 30 SI relationships globally. And by relationships, what I mean is we have contracted with the SI, the SI has trained their staff, they have people on a bench being utilized in deployments globally, and that is critically important to our uh, ability to grow, I'll call it exponentially rather than incrementally, both in the mid-market and in the large enterprise space globally. Uh, and it, it is also a key to our ability to uh, perform like a software company with gross margins uh, in excess of 80%, which is what we're tracking toward. Super helpful. Just a quick follow-up on float revenue. I just want to clarify your commentary in your share level letter talking about the assumptions here, taking into account the current rate environment. Should we take that to imply that it assumes all rate increases thus far? And if we get anything additional in September or beyond, that could drive additional upside? Yeah, the, the, the 13 million increase in our FOIA guidance reflects the most recent rate hikes. Uh, remember, we also have a portfolio of investments that is laddered. Uh, so you have half of the portfolio that, uh, where that repricing immediately applies and half of the portfolio where you'll see that flow through a little bit later in time. Uh, but yes, potentially there's, there's some additional rate hikes. You may see a little bit of upside there. 
great. Completely understand the dynamic, and that's helpful. Thanks again for taking my questions. Our next question comes from David Unger of Wells Fargo. Thanks a lot for squeezing in, guys. Um, so it's great to hear the positive commentary on international sales and me and APJ. Anything you can mention in terms of uh, changes in pricing dynamics with those enter enterprise customers? Thanks. I mean, uh, I'll start and I'll ask David or Noemi uh, to chime in. I, I guess at state of the obvious, and I, I said it earlier, you know, when you're uh, servicing a 100,000 employee or 700,000 employee uh, customer uh, for pay and time, uh, you can imagine what our approach is, which is uh, we seed the customer and we go back and expand the PEPM over time. Uh, so that's our approach with these large customers, and it will continue to be as we uh, continue to grow. David, would you add anything? Well, I wouldn't be. I think that's that's good. Okay, great. Thanks. And then, you know, great to see um, full suite sales, 36% holding steady. Any internal targets you could share with us over, the, say, the intermediate term? Thank you. With respect to full suite sales, is that your question? Yes. I mean, I'll give you a general answer, and I'll ask Noemi and David if they want to sharpen it. I guess my general answer would be our goal is to sell full suite to the mid-market to go back and make sure that every single one of those customers owns the complete 24 SKUs that we have to offer, to then plant seeds in the large enterprise, which is what we're doing, and expand just as we will have in the mid-market there over time. That's our goal. David, would you add anything? No, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I would say we've always uh, uh, leveraged our leadership in compliance, which is payroll, Ben, and time. Uh, we know that we can do that better than anyone else, and we know that if we win that and we get system of record, it's very likely that we will get the talent components as well. Uh, again, in 2018, that would have been true at the major in, in the mid-market. We now are also quite successful up to the enterprise space, which is about the 10,000 employee level. And on a longer-term basis, we would like to get system of record as well for the large enterprise, which we do believe will allow us to also win their talent components. And, and by the way, we have seen success even in large enterprise on sweet sales. Thanks yeah, very much. As I noted before, a 40,000-employee company, global veterinary services company, bought our full suite just in this last quarter. So it's a really good example of what David just said. And the only other thing I would add to that is in a down macro environment, every customer is looking to rationalize total cost of ownership. So he who provides a suite wins. Makes a lot of sense. Thanks very much. And our next question comes from Samad Samana from Jeffries. Hi, great. Thanks for taking my questions. Maybe first one for you, Noemi. Just as I think about uh, EBITDA, clearly the company has done really well in getting the, the gross margins up and, and make, you know, kind of keeping an eye on, on OPEX as well. So we're seeing that. Uh, I'm just curious, how should we think about adjusted EBITDA translating into free cash flow? Just you know, how does that conversion, I know in, in the past it, it hasn't converted quite as well, just should we start to see free cash flow inflect as well, or how should we think about adjusting EBITDA converting into free cash flow? Yeah, absolutely. So if just look at Q2, uh, if you look at the operating cash flow, uh, we grew by 5 million in Q2, so most of it is expansion of profitability. Uh, we had a bit of working capital movements in Q2 that you would expect to normalize over time. So the answer is yes, as we uh, expand on profitability, expand our plan of recurring gross margin, getting more efficient on our GNA ratios and the like, you expect that to close with free cash flow as well. The other thing I would add is this quarter, uh, similar to the previous quarter, uh, we had severance payments as well as a result of our, our workforce uh, action to move and leverage uh, our uh, APJ uh, services center, and that will also normalize over time. Great. And then, um, David, I know that the, the, the commentary and the pipeline sounded great. I guess I just wanted to maybe ask a follow-up. Is there, in terms of the newer geographies that you guys are still ramping in and, and where you're, where you have native payroll, are you seeing any, 
changes in any particular geography or an improve, you know, um, any particular geography shining um, that you would call out? Um, it would be, be three things. Um, in Amir, I believe the team is doing a very good job over there, and they've got a very good partnership network, which I spoke about last time, uh, that are helping influence the actual deals and the win rates. Uh, in APJ, uh, we did a lot of restructuring of the go-to-market over the course of the last year, and we are beginning to see uh, great benefits from that. As I mentioned, uh, APJ sales, as is Amir, by the way, are both up 50% year over year, so I'll say it's working very nicely. Um, we're also about to launch uh, in Germany on the payroll side, and already we've seen uh, significant traction in terms of taking orders against the German payroll solution. So we're quite optimistic. And the 350,000 gross that Lee spoke about is actually a um, is actually based out of Germany. Gotcha. Thanks for taking my questions. Appreciate it. Our next question comes from Raymond Linchow of Barclays. Thank you. Uh, thanks for speaking me. And David, can I stay on that subject? If you think about that, those kind of large customers are really a game changer and it, hasn't, it doesn't happen very often that, you know, someone is breaking into the world of the SAP's Oracle's work days there. And can you speak to who you're replacing there and what's the situation in terms of setup? Was it a, a, a native software guy or was that a combination of someone doing payroll taxes somewhere else and then some software and you basically are coming in with one solution, one suite, as you said, and are able to kind of consolidate the solution there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Thank you. And congrats for me as well. Yeah, uh, Ramos, as uh, Lee mentioned, uh, the grocer is actually a workforce management client. Uh, the reality over there is they uh, were an existing client with a much smaller footprint, and they've now extended it globally. Um, and I think there's actually still an upside over there of a few hundred thousand more employees that we expect to win uh, over time as well. So it's just based on really performance of the Dayforce platform and the capabilities that we've built uh, in able them to them run their business. Uh, when we look at the other global deals, typically there is a, an, a, a, a domestic provider. Sometimes it's a big ERP that we're coming in and actually replacing. Uh, large enterprise is still largely best of breed. So we get our uh, foot in, if you like, with the compliance modules, and then we expect over time uh, to get the system of record followed by the talent. We've had some success with customers like Costa, which is part of Coke, uh, where we are the system of record. We've rolled out full uh, uh, talent capabilities to them, and that's obviously resonating very nicely in market. Yeah, okay, perfect. Congratulations. And we have, I believe, our final question of the evening from Scott Berg with Needham. Hi, everyone. Congrats on uh, the really good bookings, and thanks for taking my questions. I, I guess I have two quick ones. Um, follow up on the uh, gross margin impact from, from someone's earlier question. In the response for the improvement in the quarter, I didn't hear about the impact of the improved float revenues. Dayforce float revenues were up $3 million sequentially from Q1, so I assume that uh, also drove some of the benefit in the uh, – in the subscription gross margins or the recurring gross margins, but, uh, but, but I guess A, correct me if I'm wrong. And then B, you talk to that impact. Thanks. Absolutely. But Xload, we're also seeing a pretty significant uh, bump in our cloud recurring gross margin as well. But yes. Sorry, Scott, you had another question. Are you still there? Okay, everyone, thank you for joining our second quarter conference call. We look forward to connecting with you over the following weeks.